Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. On June 13th, Fidelity Investments Canada hosted Focus 2023 Toronto, a day-long live event for advisors featuring insightful insights from Fidelity's portfolio managers and experts. Today's podcast features portfolio manager Darren Lekekirker's session from the event, sitting down with host Catherine Black, Director, Sales Enablement. Darren sheds some light on North American equities today, including his outlook for both countries and what the optimal balance may be for someone's portfolio. For Canadian investors, Darren manages Fidelity North American Equity Class, co-manages Fidelity Global Natural Resources Fund alongside Joe Overtivest, and is also the equities sub-portfolio manager on Fidelity Canadian Balanced Fund, among others. Today, Darren also shares his thoughts on the current macro environment and notes how uncertainty and volatility can lead to opportunities. Darren and Catherine also field questions from the live audience. And please note you may hear references to a few slides that were displayed to the room. Now for more podcasts from Fidelity Canada's Focus 2023 Toronto event, please subscribe as they'll be released in the coming days. Or scroll back a bit on our recently released podcast to find sessions from May's Focus event in Vancouver. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. We're going to dive right in. And when you and I were speaking prior to today's session, we were talking about, you know, where did your investing journey begin and what was the catalyst that sparked this interest in investing? And you'd mentioned that your dad was a small business owner, your mom was a physio, but they never showed any interest in investing. But you had a cousin, I think, that had a cool experience. So I'll let you tell the story yeah. as to where this all started. Yeah, so I can, I, I know exactly where my interest in the stock market started. And so my cousins, they got shares in companies. One of them got Exxon. The other one got a mining company. And um, that's when I, it first clicked in my head. Hey, there's a stock market. You can buy shares in companies. You could make money over And how time. old were you when this was coming to fruition? Was, I was approaching my 10th birthday. So for my 10th birthday... Who was I, getting stocks I, for their 10th birthday? Raise a I hand. Asked, yeah, yeah asked, not me. <laughs> I asked my parents. I was like, I really want to get in the stock market. And so for my 10th birthday, my gift was five shares of Bell Canada and so, do you still so, have them? So, so I, I had to sell it for tax reasons and moving back and forth between the US <laughs> and Canada, but I had it for a long time. Awesome. That's such a great story. So, if anybody has a, you know, a nine year old turning 10 soon, there's an idea for you birthday gift coming up. Um, you've been managing money for quite some time. You had the North American Equity Class uh, launch on October 2015. Prior to Fidelity, though, after your many years, you did some time in mergers and acquisitions as well as private equity. So through this investing journey, how have you really worked on fine-tuning your investment process to essentially be the manager you are today? Yeah. Hey, thanks. That's, um, I like that question. And so when I was in private equity, the way that we invested it was very, very concentrated. It was a small number of companies. You spent like a lot of time, it could be like months of looking at a company and not even in investing because you couldn't get the price or you weren't comfortable with some of the, the risks involved and investing in really high quality businesses that generated a lot of cash flow. 
And so I've tried to incorporate some of those same characteristics in the way that I invest in public equities. I run a concentrated uh, portfolio of between 40 to, to 50 businesses that I own. The top 10 companies are somewhere between like 35 to 50% of the, of the overall fund and, and drive most of the, the performance. I really focused on finding a high quality business um, that has a competitive advantage. I'm really focused a lot on the management team. Are their economic incentives aligned with, with ours as shareholders? Do they own a lot of stock in the company? How do they achieve their compensation? Is it by hitting goals that will increase the share price if they hit them? What's their track record of capital allocation? Has it been accretive to the share price? And then obviously, what's the what's the valuation? So very holistic overview. Yeah. Um, I like to think, you know, at Fidelity, we have great people managing a ton of money. So when you think about your edge, especially in the North, North American space, because it is quite crowded, quite competitive, what would you say your edge is to your investing process, your investing style? I think that edge is our, our team. It's our research team. And so we've got the largest buy side team and, and the, I think the best buy side team in Canada, the highest quality, we're able to pick and choose who we hire. Um, and so it's it's really high quality people. And the, it's a good culture too. Like culture is people who are interested in stock. So um, I, mean, I had a busy day, but I actually just went and grabbed a really quick 30 minute lunch with two other portfolio managers. And we just talked about um, stocks like the whole time. And then I, I walked here with another portfolio manager who was actually headed to the US conference and talked about stocks. So. Um, it's a good culture. Oh, one other thing too, I think because we work for the largest um, or one of the largest global asset managers, I think we're the largest active global asset manager in the world. But regardless, like we can get great corporate access. So we can meet with like CEOs and CFOs. And I mentioned that I was doing that today and it's something that we do all the time. So it really helps to uh, inform my process and helps to make you an expert on a company and an industry. And, and you can ask your questions and learn. So who'd you go for lunch with? Um, so today I went for lunch with Brett Delay, who's yeah. who's one of the the uh, hedge, the beta the, the neutral market neutral hedge fund product, and Joe Overdevest, who I manage the natural resource fund with, and then I walked um, here partway. I'll meet him later. David Way, who's one of the other yeah. hedge fund managers, talked about stocks. So awesome! So lots of idea yeah. sharing constantly yeah. amongst your people. That's great. That's excellent. Um, so building a portfolio is obviously where you employ this investment process and your style. Um, walk us through what that looks like. So when you're starting to put together, you know, maybe back in October. Prior to October 2015, how did you build the North, North American equity portfolio? What does that look like? Yeah, so the North American equity portfolio, like the, the philosophy behind it was like, can we make like a one-stop like shopping product for Canadians to invest? And so if you think about investing, like what's been the best market in the world over time? It's been the US market, right? Like it's, it's outperformed other global markets. Um, and so I thought, okay, you should have more US um, than Canada. Uh, but I think you need some Canadian assets and Canadian dollar denominated assets as a Canadian investor. Because if you live here and you want to buy a house or you need to buy something else here, I think you, you need to have that currency exposure and that asset exposure if you're competing with other people that live here. And so the mix that we chose was 70 US, 30 Canadian. Mm -hmm. I have, it's actually pretty close to that today, but I have flexibility to deviate from that. And the idea isn't to simply have like a two funds, like a 70 fund and a 30 fund. It's really to own the best companies within both the US and the best companies within Canada and not be constrained by the index. Excellent. So the best, the best of both worlds right. into one package. That's perfect. 
Um, you're also one of the sub-portfolio managers on Canadian Balanced, uh, which is great. So how would you say you differentiate what you manage in Canadian Balanced versus North American Equity if people are looking to own you? Yeah, so there's just two very different funds, right? The North American Equity Fund is an all-equity fund, and it's mm -hmm. mostly U.S. The Canadian Balanced Fund is a, it's a more conservative fund. It's also a one-stop shop for a Canadian investor. It's like 50% bonds, uh, of which 40% is in is Canadian investment grade bonds and 10% is US high yield bonds. They're, they're not managed by me, but they're managed by two different managers, a high yield manager and an investment grade manager, both in the US. And then 50% Canadian equities, which I, I manage. I do have like probably uh, a little less than 10% US in that fund today, mm -hmm. um, but it can move over time. Um, and so in terms the, of the, the commonality, sorry. You said it can move over time to a maximum of what? It can actually go to 30%. US. Awesome. Um, and it has been there um, over time. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah, and so there's some commonality in terms of the stocks that I own. Like, I mean, I own like the stocks that I like the most. I own the US stocks I like the most, I own in the Canadian Balance Fund, and the Canadian stocks that I own the most, I own in the US Fund. But I won't own all those Canadian stocks. I'll only own like my top, like maybe like 10 Canadian ideas. So you can have cross pollination, yeah. essentially, when you really have right. some conviction behind something. Right. Excellent. Um, so if we're talking about North American equities, what are some of the benefits that an investor can realize from owning this? And I think you touched on, you know, the best of both worlds of having Canada and US. But if you could expand on, um, you know, why buy that for your investors? So I think so I already touched on the mix, right, to have more US and Canada. It's it's more it tends to be larger cap companies. In terms of my style, I tend to like high quality companies that are kind of like sleep at night companies. And so like stable companies that have a competitive advantage in terms of how do I define a high quality business, it's a competitive advantage and a sustained high return on capital over time. And so my top positions in the fund are like Microsoft, Constellation Software, Canadian Pacific Rail. Um, so companies I've owned for a long time that have a great business, and so they kind of embody those three things that I said I was looking for, right? Like a high-quality business, a management team that's focused on growing shareholder value over time, and a good valuation. And so, and also I wanted to mention, in terms of like why North America, I really like investing in North America, and I, I think Jeff Moore spoke earlier today, and he, I think he talks about Fortress North America, and I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Like, I think in terms of North America, like, look, right? Like, it, it's energy and food independent. It did, it did really well in a, term, in a time of high inflation. But in a time of growth, it does really well too, right? Like, think about um, the sources of innovation between the U.S. and Canada, right? You've got University of Waterloo in Canada. You've got the Ivy League universities in the U.S. You've got Silicon Valley. You've got Wall Street to finance it. Like, how many awesome U.S. tech companies can we all name? Probably quite a few. How many awesome European ones can you name? Not, not that many, right? And so the U.S. market also, in terms of politics, like, clearly there's two camps of, of people. But, you know, I think the odds of it breaking into a shooting, like a violent shooting war, are, are low. The odds of part of the U.S. leaving the union are, are low. And so I think you have, like, low political risk. So I, I find, and there's just, like, I also like the that, there's a lot of like high quality companies in secular growth sectors like technology and healthcare. And the knock on the US is like, so I became a portfolio manager in 2009. And so then people were all saying like, buy global, buy emerging markets, it's cheaper. It's always been that every year. And like the US is more expensive, but it's, it is so for a reason. It tends to have higher quality companies that grow faster, return back more cash and have lower risk. 
So we heard Patrice earlier talk about opportunities in Europe. You're saying there's still more in the U.S. based on what you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think like for me, it fits to how I invest. It's, mm -hmm. it's. I think there's more higher quality companies in the U.S. Got it. Excellent. Your top ten. Let's just touch on that. And I know you have some great stories, but top ten makes up 39% of your portfolio. So a concentrated portfolio, which is what we like to see. Some stock stories. I had a few, but you told me you might change your mind. So I'll leave it up to you as to what you want to share today. You could. Yeah, you could ask whatever you want. Well, but, I have Striker here, which okay, I thought Stryker. was very cool. Okay. Well, so Striker. So Stryker, probably most of you have heard of this company. It's a, it's a large U.S. Um, healthcare company. It's, it's in the medical technology. They do hip and knee replacements. I followed the company for a long time and always thought, admired it and was looking for the right entry point. And then the company actually under-earned during COVID for two reasons. Number one, procedure like, like surgery volumes were lower. People didn't want to go to a hospital. The patients didn't want to go. The doctors didn't want to go. But now they're back, right? And the other issue was actually inflation. And so they had like set pricing and then the components went up. Half of it was like sort of commodity inflation, which has since come down. And the other half being recovered this year due to pricing. So I had a super bullish meeting with Kevin, learned a lot about it, felt really comfortable making it a major position. As of last November, and it's part of the insight that you get that I spoke of from meeting with companies and it's why it's a major part of my process. And so that's been a top 10 stock. It's done well. You know, and you other, said you invested in, in November. Yeah. And it's up just shy of 14% year to date. That's year to date. Yeah. I think it, it probably also went up from November to the year end. But yeah, so it's, so it's, yeah, it's been a good one. Yeah. Constellation Software has been one I've owned for a long time. And uh, for like, I think probably a lot of people here will know it, but for those that don't, it was it was started like, I think it went public, I think in 2006. The CEO's name is Mark Leonard. It came out of private equity. The business model is to invest in what's called vertical market software. So think about the software like maybe that your dentist uses or something. Like it's not that exciting, but it's completely necessary to run the business. And so he kind of discovered like these businesses weren't growing that quickly, but they were not expensive to buy and generated a lot of cash flow. So he started buying these businesses, using the cash flow to buy other businesses. Um, he used no debt over time and no, no new stock issues past the IPO. It's one of the things I like, right? Because if you're always issuing shares, it's hard to grow earnings per share. Because like, what really drives stocks, and I'm diverting a little here, but I'll come back, over the long term is growth in free cash flow per share, right? So if you're always increasing the denominator, it's hard to go free cash flow per share. So I like that. I spent, he's, he, now he's a billionaire. The company's done super well. He's been the best capital allocator in the world over the past like 10 years, better than, than Warren Buffett over the past 10 years. Um, and because he's a billionaire, he's become a little harder, more reclusive. He's got like kind of a really long beard. Um, and uh, he's That's harder a characteristic to, he's harder of a billionaire. He doesn't, <laughs> doesn't take company meetings anymore. So one thing I did was in November of last year, myself and my colleague Joe that I mentioned I had lunch with, we found out he was talking at this national bank event to students. Luckily, one of my um, younger cousins was actually a university student, was doing a co-op at National Bank. So I went and I was able to like spend an hour and like kind of like learn a bunch there. And then we actually, we also did get to have him in. And he wanted to talk to us about like kind of our voting on proxies. And so we were happy to speak with him about that. But then after that, it turned into this like great learning opportunity for, for myself and also especially our younger analysts. And so for me, that gave me, um, you know, the stock, nothing changed last year, right? I felt really confident because the thing is, they don't grow that quickly organically. The growth rate is like anywhere from low single digits to high single digits. 
and a large part of their end market was government. And so like, you know, like we all follow the budget, right? The government just spends more money. So I wasn't worried about that. And, uh, and the stock had sold off a bunch because of higher rates. And so I, you know, had more confidence to buy more. This year's stock's done really well. I think that one year to date is probably up around like low 30s or mid 30s. But it actually, they spun out a company called Lumines. And I was, you know, I talked to them about the spin out. And so, you know, I didn't learn anything that was, was non-public information, obviously. But um, it, was, it was just like learning more about what's happening and having the confidence to invest. So there, there's a couple of my top 10 stocks. So just really quickly, I know we turn over every rock at Fidelity and we look uh-huh. at every company in stock, but we also will leverage family to our you know, most potential by going to national bank student conferences, which I love. I love that you work that angle. That's excellent. Um, So perhaps another story that you have. Sorry. Yeah, it wasn't only for students to to be there. Okay, so you weren't, it wasn't you and a bunch of 20 clients, but he he agreed to speak there because there were students. So there was a lot of students and my cousin was there. So that was great. But yeah, you know what? This is a competitive job, right? You got to work Work hard and you got to like leverage what you can. I love it. I love it. Um, Can you maybe just touch on Waste Connections? I think it's so interesting because it kind of ties into Connor and Chris's example of Darling where they're rendering, you know, taking fat, turning into diesel. This is also maybe a not attractive uh, angle, but a really neat uh, opportunity. So Waste Connections um, is a garbage company. Some of you may be clients of Waste Connections, right? They might pick up your garbage. And uh, they bought a company called Progressive Waste Solutions, which was a Canadian listed company in 2016. Waste Connections is based in Texas, but it's listed and counts as Canadian. Um, And what I see when I look at Waste Connections is a free cash flow compounding machine, right? Mm -hmm. And like, that's the goal. The goal is to increase free cash flow per share over time. How do they do that? Yeah, they run a garbage business and, and, it's actually a pretty good business, right? It turns out that it's very resilient in terms of recession and in terms of high inflation because the pricing is linked to uh, inflation. It's mostly price over volume. Volumes don't grow that much, but price grows a lot. They grow margins, generates a ton of cash flow, and they tend to buy other um, assets in the waste management industry, either the, the, the transfer site, um, the disposal area, or the, or the collection. They're going to continue to drive free cash flow per share. Excellent. So is that a similar, I I know you also own CP, which you've had since 2011, I believe, in your top 10. Has that also been existing for, you know, that same length? No, I bought Waste Connections in 2016 when I bought Progressive Waste Solutions. And there was a big opportunity there because there was a lot that that Canadian company wasn't run as well. And so there was a lot of opportunities to um, run more efficiently by combining the two companies. And so, yeah, in terms of Canadian Pacific Rail, that was one where you had a long time underperforming Canadian Rail and CN Rail was, was the, the champion, the gold medalist. And of all the North American rails, they, they were the worst performing as judged by their, their margins. They had the lowest profit margins in the industry and they blamed it on a worse terrain because they said they had a higher, like you had to go up the mountains. And they got new management in, Hunter Harrison, who was the the sort of godfather of railroading CEOs, if I can say that. And he did something that's called a precision scheduled railroading, which essentially means you run your trains faster with lighter assets and on time. Uh, it, it, it increased the margins and the goal is also to increase, increase revenue because things are going on time. Hmm. And so margins went from last to first amongst the North American rails. It's gone up like 900% 
if I include the dividends, so it kind of meets the definition of a 10-bagger, inclu including the dividends. So it's been a good one. I've owned it for a long time, you know, 12 years. But it's been a good company. And uh, I think more recently, like, I met with a large U.S. rail. Like, there's three of them that are public in the U.S. I met with one of them this morning. And, you know, I think that the, the, the rail volumes have been soft and disappointing because we've been in a softer economic environment. But I also think that um, that can only last for so long. And so, you know, it has been an area where I've been a, like a little, like I still own it, but I sometimes I get a little more cautious on it. But I think in the long term, it's one I really like. And I think that over time should should do well. And there's always going to be the need for transportation. So Right. And and they have like, like look, it's a monopoly business. Mm -hmm. Like I love. Which you've um, stated you love is monopoly. Yeah, businesses. I love monopolies, right? <laughs> I mean, I like to play the game when I was a kid and I like to own the stocks when I'm a portfolio manager. So let's maybe pivot onto the economy and markets, if you will. So your view on the markets right now, it's been a bit still of a crazy 2023. You know, what are you seeing? And, you know, maybe adding on your focus on quality. How, yeah. How's it stacking up? Yeah. So quality is doing well this year after um, having a tougher year last year. And I think that businesses all performed extremely well last year. It's just that when interest rates go up, it's most almost all assets go down, mm -hmm. right? Like bonds, stocks, uh, quality stocks. And so it's doing well this year. In terms of 2023, yes, it is, but they all are. Mm -hmm. And yeah, no, I think that it's good to own quality companies because, you know, by definition, you can, they're high quality, you can sleep at night, they have pricing power, high, high profit margins, and, and low, uh, low leverage. Excellent. And, you know, I think you always make a Buffett reference, something around, they're the companies that if the market closed for 10 years... You, yeah, you could still sleep at night, still but, be okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think we, we talked about that. Like Buffett has this test, like, would you buy this company if the stock market was closed for 10 years? And I think for, for most companies that are high quality, the answer is yes, right? Like, I mean, for so for for waste connections or for CP Rail, CP Rail, like the railway business model hasn't changed in over 100 years. Like, I'm pretty comfortable that they'll still have a monopoly 10 years from now. Yeah, fair enough. Um, interest rates, you know, we had the Bank of Canada hike on Wednesday, another 25 basis points. Where do you see that path leading um, for the rest of the year? Yeah, right. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not an economist. I'm not in bonds. I don't want to get mm -hmm. over my skis. And so tomorrow, so that's right, the, the Bank of Canada hiked. Um, the Fed, we had CPI out this morning in the U.S. I think it was up 4%. Um, it's come down. I think it was up at one point, like 9-ish percent last year. And I think the U.S. rates are around like 5%. And they, they, the sort of forecasters are saying they are not likely to raise tomorrow, although they still may surprise us if they do. The stocks will probably sell off in the short term. Um, but I think, I think inflation's coming down. Um, and if we look at longer term expectations, so it's, 4% today, and the longer-term expectations are around 2-ish two, percent, and rates are like 5. So real rates are, are positive. Um, so it tells you the direction's lower, right? Like the neutral rate is below where the rates are today. So it's more likely to be a tailwind over time than a headwind. Um, but, you know, what I really want to – maybe my real message is, before we get too detailed because I can see the time here, is there's a lot of reasons not – to invest, right? So like at the beginning of the year, I think people would say, hey, you've got high inflation and it's sticky. You've got a hawkish Federal Reserve Bank um, that's increasing rates. You could have a recession. You could have lower uh, corporate earnings. You could have high valuations. All, all those things are like somewhat true and like I'm not unconcerned about any of those things. But look what happened to stocks, right? Everybody was negative. The sentiment was terrible. 
positioning was light, right? And and like stocks are up. They're up in, I think, like 13-ish percent um, in the US, 13, 14%. It's a little lower in Canadian dollars. Canadian dollar sent well, it's probably 12%. And then I think the, the Canadian index is up like sort of mid-single digits. So, you know, keep that in mind too, right? I mean, one of the other risks where when I hear how people talking about these macro discussions, like the bearish view always sounds smarter. Keep that in mind. And also keep in mind, like balance that, that view with over time, equities will be the best asset class to own over the long term. And also keep in mind, like you don't want to be under invested over time because it's hard to, it's really hard to, to time the market. I think that's a great message. And is that, you know, would that equal what you're hearing from all these companies that you're talking about? You know, are, are they concerned about rates or have they moved on past that? And it's, you know, it's factored in with their decisions and they move forward. I think people just view it as we had this period where we had a zero rate interest rate world, and now we're at more of a normalized rate world. Um, and so I think companies have different views. And so I think for the most part, companies are saying we, we haven't seen weakness yet, but I don't know, it depends on the industry. So I met with two hotels and they're saying like demand is unbelievably strong and like they we can't see it going away and so you know well hotels are now a thousand dollars a night in toronto yeah it's crazy exactly right <laughs> and crazy. so uh and and meanwhile the railways have a different tune right they, they they've actually seen weaker volumes they believe we're in a, a freight recession and that it'll start to inflect positively by the end of the year and if you look at some of the key end markets you can see that right i mean commodity demand on the volume side has been weaker um housing's been weaker autos were weaker because of supply chain um, so there's been a few like retailers have been destocking their inventories that's hit them and so but I think eventually all these things there's a cycle they'll come to a trough and it'll inflect. Mm -hmm. So it depends on the on the industry. I mean the software companies it's all about um, AI right which is a really interesting mega theme to talk about. Let's talk about that because yeah. I know it is a mega theme and, and we've yeah. had a few other people mention AI today but no one's really dove in and touched on that. So um, about 25% of North American equity is in technology. And uh, I know this is a conversation that you're saying is at the forefront of what a lot of companies are talking about. So how do you see this playing out? Right. And when I, I just want to mention also in terms of that 25% that's in technology, like most, like the majority or most of what I own is like very like low beta or lower risk tech. So I mentioned mm -hmm. Constellation Software. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I mentioned Microsoft, but it's kind of like really good businesses that like they're not trading at a million times earnings and you're, you're not really, like they have a strong business, you're not worried that it's gonna be like disrupted. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of AI, look, I think AI's, AI is real, right? And like some people think of it as like a, a hype job or a hype show and you know, there's no earnings. Well, like look, NVIDIA, NVIDIA is like the AI king, right? And so NVIDIA is like a semiconductor company. They make the, the chips that power AI and they um, like probably everyone saw the stock was up 25%. It was a monster, monster guide, right? Like they, they absolutely crushed numbers. Like they guided the revenue in their largest segment, the data center segment, up 100% for the next quarter. Like it's wow. very rare you see that. So it, it is impacting revenue of companies, right? And I talked to another large software company that's a key holding. And one of the quotes they said was, every single chief technology officer of every single type of organization is focused on AI right now. So it, like, it's a key issue. I mean, I talked about it um, with one of the hotel companies, right? And mm -hmm. so some people will compare it to crypto or the, the metaverse. I think it's much um, bigger than that and, and can result in a, a bigger uh, compute cycle. Microsoft um, also mentioned they delineated the growth in their cloud computing from AI. And I think it was like annualized at 500 million, but growing like 100%. So 
it's an exciting new theme. It could, uh, it, all, it should impact a lot of companies, some for good, some for bad, but I think for on most companies, it'll be on the cost side, increasing productivity. There'll be a few companies will increase on the revenue side. Wild. Uh, you co-managed, you mentioned uh, GNR, sorry, Global Natural Resources with Joe Overdevest, who you had lunch with today. I'm sure you guys are always talking about the natural resource landscape. So what's the current view there? I like resources and uh, I would talk, I'm most probably most excited about copper. And I think that in the near term, it seems okay, but I'm very excited about it in the medium term. I think another mega theme is the energy transition, right? Mm -hmm. We transition away from carbon um, in our economy. I think that's another mega theme. And so I think what will happen is when you move to an electric vehicle um, car and power goes away from coal and natural gas towards renewable energy, it just takes way more metals, especially copper. And there's a couple of copper mines coming on right now this year. But beyond that, there's very little in the pipeline because we've, the world has really underinvested because there's been low prices and volatile prices and ESG and all these things, although it's actually necessary for ESG. So I'm really excited about copper. And I think that I think that they'll, they're, you should see higher prices, right? As demand goes up and supply is pretty static. Uh, and there's a few companies and they should get a scarcity premium that are focused on that. I've tended to own companies this year that have had uh, a catalyst coming for them, like some idiosyncratic benefit. But so I'm very excited about copper. I think in terms of the energy, I think mm -hmm. I prefer materials over energy right now, just because I think that and today China announced some stimulus. So stocks exposed to China and resources are flying, which is... Um, nice to see. Um, but I think that China growth should pick up a little here. And I think that on the energy side, you have OPEC cutting. So it's a little, it tells you that there's more supply available of energy. But I think in the long term with ESG, I do think it really limits the impact of investment into oil and you, you will see good, really good times to own it. Well, and you mentioned China and uh, China consumes uh, more than 50% of the world's metal. So does that, you know, with it reopening now, and, and actually Patrice mentioned that it's taking longer than people have anticipated, um, but that also would impact this story. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think demand comes from China, but, but I think they're stimulating. So we'll, like, we'll see what happens there. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty early to, to make a conclusion. I, I think initially in the beginning part of the year, it looked like it was going to be much faster and now it looks a little slower, but mm -hmm. I think We'll see what happens there. And meanwhile, you have this mega theme of the energy transition. And you talked about so that mega theme, decarbonization, energy yeah. transition. So are there opportunities that are going to come out of that to benefit your portfolios? Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think investing in copper is one. I think um, other there's other sort of uh, metals that look attractive because of that. Um, so yeah, no, I think so. Okay, great. Um, North American equity, you've mentioned it's 2015. Cam mentioned that it's been 97, 97% of years, five-star rated 2022 Lipper. Congratulations. Um, how do you see that fitting into an overall investor's portfolio? So Where does North look, American look, slot yeah, so in? Look, so like for, for me, like I'm the number one investor in the North American equity fund. I'm the largest. And like I just do that because I think it's the best way for me to save for my own like retirement goals. And um, I also like to be aligned with other people. And so like, I just tend to regularly contribute it as I get um, paid at work. And uh, so I think for me, look, it's a one-stop shop fund. It's 70 US, 30 Canadian. So I think it's, um, I, don't I, I don't think it excludes anybody, but yeah. It's a sudden forget it kind of thing. We heard Adam <laughs> say that. We have lots of those available here so, at Fidelity. It's a good, good term. Which is a great way. Um, and we have about five minutes left. So let's just talk about your outlook for 2020, for the back half of 2023 into 2024. What are the key themes you're focused on? We've touched on a few today, but 
you know, where where are you uncovering those rocks? What are you looking at? Yeah, so um, I mean, like I mentioned, or I don't know if I mentioned, but I added to tech at the beginning part of the year and the end of last year. It had been absolutely crushed last year, right? And I think that you saw revenue grow slowing. Uh, and you've seen the, as we talked about AI, so AI has clearly benefited a certain select group of them, but it's mm -hmm. also been, fundamentals have inflected better, right? So in the long term, if stocks go up because they follow free cash flow per share, in the short term, they go up because they beat street numbers, or uh, you see the second derivative change from negative to positive. And so we're seeing that, right? Like, so some of these companies are really, really cutting their OPEX. So one of the meetings of the companies I met with yesterday, which was a mega cap software company said, the hiring, um, the hiring has completely changed in Silicon Valley. And so now um, they don't have to pay sky high wages. So they are pushing back. They are um, managing down the operating expenses and the CapEx. And meanwhile, um, the revenue slowdown um, should be kind of near a, near a bottom and ready to inflect upwards again. So that's an area of attitude. That labor ch change is different because there was a time where weren't only Silicon Valley companies almost putting students on retainer so that the competition yeah. couldn't steal them, right? It was yeah. that competitive at one yeah. point. Yeah, 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 100%. Yeah, so it's, re it's really been a big change. And so, but it's kind of evens out over time. Yeah. And so I think that should be a, of a benefit to shareholders. Mm -hmm. um, I added to healthcare, I think, earlier in the year. So we talked about Striker, I also added to another. I think Boston Scientific is in my top 10, so I can mention that. Um, and what does Boston Scientific do? Well, it's broad range med tech, but they're big in cardiology, so like stents for your heart or pacemakers, mm -hmm. things like mm -hmm. that. So Excellent. Yeah. And risks. So those are what you've added to. Is there anything that you're completely steering clear of, you know, maybe not the right time, but interested in, in the future potentially adding? Yeah, so I'd like to get bigger into the, the copper names, and I kind of talked a little bit about that. I, I think that's pretty exciting. But I'm, look, I'm fully invested actually in the North American fund, and so I'm, I'm finding good opportunities. Regional banks, we haven't talked about much, but it was a hot topic about a month ago. Um, that being, you know, what happened in Silicon Valley with SVB, would that be an opportunity for you based on what's happened there? Is there any consolidation or, or anything that you're seeing, or is you just steering clear? No, it's too risky. Uh, for me, and so I'll let other people do that. And and uh, like you know, one thing I've learned over time is that like I think that the stocks that you make the most money on have a, actually a really simple investment thesis. And you, I think you asked me a question earlier: How has my process changed? Now that's changed, right? So I used to think like, hey, like I want to be the expert on this like super complicated stock, and like you know, it's so hard. And like I feel like my batting average of making money is lower. Um, and so uh, so like oftentimes like. The thesis should be really simple. It should be like, these guys are have a new product cycle and they're going to charge way more and it's way better than the existing product and they're going to completely crush it. Something just easy that I could explain to my mom, who's a smart person, but not an investment professional. Sure. Keep it simple. That's always, always a good mantra to live by. So you mentioned that you're the largest unit holder of North American equity. And I think for the Fidelity family plan too, you've accumulated that over time. Is there anything that keeps you up at night uh, being the largest shareholder of your fund? <laughs> like, not, like, not really. Kids' future like, I depends on like, it. Look, I mean, look, I own like 40-ish uh, like stocks. Like the goal is to have like 40 high quality companies that over time have a good business that will increase their free cash flow per share. And I think intrinsic value over time will, will track that and then just kind of let them compound and let them drive the returns of the fund. So like that's the idea. There's macro risk out there, but I also think that 
like generally like there always is and you want to invest um like when all the headlines are perfect like keep in mind stocks are much more expensive too so any final thoughts for the crowd whether it's on Canadian balance north american equity global natural resources no like great to see everyone great day in toronto and and thanks for everyone for coming here and, and for those of you that are unit holders or have clients that are of the fund like i like i truly appreciate it and i'm always available and i'm always going to, you know, work hard and, and focus on it. So thanks very much. Appreciate it. Excellent. Darren LeCurkirker. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.